0: The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by DXC Technology. Let us show you the way to your digital future. Thrive on change. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, March 13th. In today's news, President Trump launches airstrikes against Iranian-backed militias in Iraq. Joe Biden hires a new manager as part of a campaign shakeup. And a pregnant woman dies after falling from the border wall. But first, the big idea. There are now more than 1,600 confirmed cases of coronavirus inside the United States and at least 41 deaths. Patients and doctors are still hitting roadblocks here after President Trump promised that anybody can get tested. There remain limited numbers of tests, and the capacity of laboratories is under heavy strain. The constraints are squeezing out patients who don't meet rigid government eligibility criteria, even if their doctors desperately want them tested. This is according to dozens of interviews with doctors and patients from coast to coast. Even members of the president's own party are venting about not being able to get answers on when the nation will see more commercial tests, faster testing, and more widely available testing. Since mid-January, the CDC and other public health laboratories have tested about 11,000 specimens for the coronavirus. The number of people who have actually been tested is likely far lower than that because labs usually test at least two specimens per person. What that means is about 5,000 people in the U.S. have probably been tested altogether. In contrast, South Korea has been running 10,000 tests per day. The number of medical professionals and patients who are denied access to tests is not tracked, but in interviews, people from Wisconsin to North Carolina, Washington and to Indiana and New York say that their doctors sought but were unable to get testing approval from local or state health officials. Here is what else you need to know about the cascading domestic fallout from the coronavirus. The Ohio Department of Health says that as many as 100,000 Ohioans are probably already carrying the virus. Republican Governor Mike DeWine expects the cases to double every six days. California Governor Gavin Newsom, the Democrat, issued an executive order allowing the state to seize control of hotels to fill them with coronavirus patients. Michigan, New Mexico, Maryland, and Oregon are closing all schools statewide. Maryland has also banned gatherings of over 250 people, the most aggressive step yet in the D.C. region. Virginia, meanwhile, has declared a state of emergency. The March Madness basketball tournament was canceled for the first time in 82 years. The NCAA has also canceled all other winter and spring championships. Major League Baseball has delayed opening day by at least two weeks and canceled the remainder of spring training. Disney World and Disneyland are shut down for the foreseeable future. In Kentucky, almost overnight, five cases of the virus wiped out business in the small town of Cynthiana, the unlikely epicenter of the outbreak in the Bluegrass State. What's put people especially on edge is that the first case was a 27-year-old woman who works as a cake decorator at the local Walmart. In New Rochelle, New York, the containment zone is keeping people from leaving. Some, though, are openly defying government mandates to limit socializing, highlighting the challenges that communities nationwide will encounter when or if they, too, become containment zones. The virus has now spread to nearly a dozen long-term care facilities in Seattle, where more people have died than anywhere else in the country. D.C. has shut down all Smithsonian museums, plus the National Zoo, and is canceling National Cherry Blossom Festival events. And the virus is prompting Hollywood to postpone the release of several much-anticipated movies. The Dow plummeted 10% yesterday, posting its largest one-day point loss in history, dropping 2,353 points. In percentage terms, it was the worst day for the markets since Black Monday in October 1987. And that came despite the Federal Reserve announcing that it will pump $1.5 trillion into the short term lending markets and buy another $60 billion worth of Treasury bonds to keep the markets liquid. European markets suffered similar declines. In many ways, as hard as it might be to believe, the picture is bleaker overseas. Satellite images show that Iranian authorities began digging a pair of trenches to bury their coronavirus dead just two days after the government disclosed the existence of the outbreak. The burial pits are so vast, the size of a football field, that they're visible from space, and they're being filled with bodies. The White House ban on most travel from Europe goes into effect tonight. Only Britain is exempted. The virus has shut down Mount Everest. Nepal has canceled all permits to summit the world's tallest mountain. And hospitals in Italy are running out of beds. Nearly every day in the northern Italian region of Lombardy, more people arrive at hospitals than the day before, all with the same virus. Some arrive barely able to breathe. Some are redirected to facilities farther away because space and resources are scarce and growing scarcer. Within a few days, even those hospitals will be filled up. The region at the center of Italy's coronavirus outbreak is on the verge of running out of room for its most critical patients. Lombardi is home to Italy's financial hub of Milan. It boasts a healthcare system as proficient as any in Western Europe. Its facilities have clung on through three weeks of galloping case growth. They've delayed surgeries. They've stopped HIV treatments. They've converted regular hospital space into COVID-19 units. And they're depending on exhausted doctors and nurses, some of whom have become sick themselves, but they can't keep up m- much longer. The implications are dramatic. Already, the region has 4,200 patients with the coronavirus in need of hospitalization. Over the next two weeks, that number is expected to grow five-fold to 20,000. Remember, they're already at capacity. As many as 3,000 or 4,000 of them would require intensive care that can't be provided. Lombardy only has 737 intensive care beds available. More than 600 are already filled. Here's the scary part. The world's top experts tracking the spread of the coronavirus predicted in a matter of weeks, much of Europe could be facing a similar surge in cases as we're seeing in Italy. The mathematical models developed by epidemiologists to track the virus show a sharp trajectory coming in Spain, Germany, France, and Britain. The modelers in Europe say a similar arc is likely in the United States. But anticipating the spread here is made more difficult by the lack of widespread testing. Francois Ballou, the director of the Genetics Institute at University College London, says Italy is about two weeks ahead of Britain and the rest of Europe. Observations by epidemiologists show that, if unchecked, the number of infections will double approximately every five days, With infected individuals on average capable of passing the virus to an average of about two and a half other people. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as this week from hell comes to an end. Number one Overnight, the United States launched airstrikes against an Iranian backed militia in Iraq, responding to a rocket attack on a military base that killed two U.S. service members and one British officer, in a new round of escalating tensions. The Pentagon says that U.S. forces hit facilities across Iraq linked to Qatayb, Hezbollah, including storage facilities that housed weapons caches used in the attacks on American troops. The aerial bombardment took place around 1.30 a.m. local time. It's unclear how many militia members were killed. A senior administration official says Trump directed U.S. forces to conduct the strikes on five facilities to significantly degrade the group's ability to carry out future attacks. U.S. defense officials say Iranian-backed militia groups carried out the attack on Wednesday on Camp Taji. That's an Iraqi base north of Baghdad that coalition forces share with Iraqi troops. Number two, In a big campaign shakeup, Joe Biden has appointed Jen O'Malley Dillon to be his new manager. She previously ran Beto O'Rourke's campaign. The move is intended to quell concerns raised in recent weeks by senior Democratic strategists about the leadership structure of the Biden campaign, which has been beset by underwhelming fundraising, scant staffing resources, and organizational miscues. The campaign shakeup is an acknowledgment that while Biden has had a remarkable recent run of victories, his operation is still not up to snuff to take on Trump in a general election. After Biden performed so badly in Iowa, Anita Dunn, a senior advisor who previously worked as White House communications director under Barack Obama, took operational control of the campaign, sharing responsibilities with Biden's original campaign manager, Greg Schultz. Dunn will now return to her role as a senior advisor. Schultz, who built the Biden campaign and oversaw all the initial hiring, will stay on in a new, much diminished role. Meanwhile, the Democratic National Committee announced that it is moving Sunday night's debate between Biden and Bernie Sanders from Phoenix to D.C. so that the candidates and their staffs will not need to travel so far. There will be no live audience. And one of the moderators, Univision's Jorge Ramos, is dropping out because he recently came into proximity with someone who tested positive for the coronavirus. And the AP has finally called California's primary for Sanders 10 days later. Four states still plan to vote next Tuesday. Florida, Illinois, Arizona, and Ohio. Number three, a pregnant 19-year-old's fatal fall while trying to climb over the border wall outside Clint, Texas, is the latest in a string of recent accidents and injuries that reflect migrants' increasingly desperate attempts to enter the United States. The woman, Miriam Estefani-Giron Luna, from Guatemala, fell backward from the top of an 18-foot-high span of steel mesh fencing while trying to cross with her child's father. She was 30 weeks pregnant, and she died from her injuries. Despite their best efforts, doctors were not able to save the child. The Guatemalan consulate in Texas says the fact that the couple was attempting to sneak into the United States by climbing the fence was an indication of shifting migration dynamics at the border, A year ago, during the height of the family migration surge, the couple probably would have tried to turn themselves in to seek asylum. But an array of new restrictions imposed by the Trump administration has made that essentially impossible. Migrant advocates say, as a result, Trump's policies are driving border crossers to take greater risks that put their lives at risk. Now Miriam and her baby are dead. And that's The Daily 202 for this Friday, the 13th. Thanks for listening. Our show is produced by Ariel Plotnick, and our theme music is by Ted Muldoon. I'm James Homan. I'll talk to you on Monday.